Good morning. Good morning to Overflow. Good to see you guys earlier. Good morning online. If you're just waking up and tuning in, we're really glad you're here. You know, I don't know about you, but I tend to be a little bit skeptical of things. Are you skeptical? Like you hear of that SMS that you're sent that says, we have your package and we just need your information and credit card to deliver it. In fact, if you're watching online, click on the link now and you'll, no, just kidding, we're not going to scam you. <laughs> or you think that there's a potential match, but the person in real life does not match their profile picture. Huh? <laughs> or you find that that job that promised you great success and excellent pay has yet to come through and pay you. Or maybe you've aligned yourself with someone that you thought had a lot of power and a lot of influence, and you realize that that person has just scammed you. In fact, today we're going to talk about three amazing things, and number three will blow your mind. You'll definitely want to stay tuned. <laughs> In this world of clickbait and catfishing and fake news, we find ourselves more skeptical than ever, don't we? When you received that SMS that says you won the iPhone 15, did you really think you won it? <laughs> Maybe you did, and then you have to call your bank to cancel all your cards. <laughs> the truth is, we live in a world where we are so broken and longing for good news that any sense that it might happen, that good news might happen to us, we find ourselves easily swindled or scammed once again. We're going to see today that this great news that Jesus has for us, that we are going to see when it comes to any big news, anybody can talk big, but there comes a point in time here and now where you have to deliver. Are you tired of people over-promising and under-delivering? We're going to see today that not only does Jesus talk big, but he delivers even bigger. We're going to see today in our series called Here and Now, Good News for those of us who live in a world where we are more skeptical than ever because scam artists abound. I was watching Netflix and, and saw a series called Inventing Anna. Have you seen this? Oh, man. It's about a woman who claims to be an heiress to a bunch of money. She works her way into the elite of the elite, and she has nothing and I thought the first couple episodes, I thought this is the dumbest thing I have ever watched in my life. There's no way that people would fall for this in real life. And then somebody told me it's based on a true story. I was like, oh, are you kidding me? And we're going to see that not only does Jesus promise big, he delivers bigger right here, right now. Because we see in the book of Matthew, we've seen in the first seven chapters of the book of Matthew, Jesus has made some major, major statements or statements have been made about Jesus. In chapter one in the book of Matthew, we see that Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne over all of God's people because of his lineage. We see in chapter 3 with John the Baptist that the voice from heaven says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. We see Jesus is the son of God. 
We see uh, later on in chapter four, we see Jesus face to face with Satan, the temptation in the desert, and we see that he is solely focused on the will of God and nothing else. And then in chapters five through seven, we see what's called the Sermon on the Mount, uh, this amazing, profound message Jesus gives the crowds. And he talks big. He makes grand claims. But as people, as people stand up and the message is done, they dust off the dirt and debris from their clothes and they stand up after hearing Jesus preach. Is the message gonna stick in their hearts? I mean, is this guy really gonna deliver or was he just some sort of prophet that talked big? No, we see that Jesus was all about these God-sized works. He's not only the king at, of word, he is the king at work. And this God-sized work, today we're gonna see two God-sized works with three brush strokes each, three stories, three character sketches, three real-life accounts of each one of these God-sized work where we are going to see what it looks like for our king to be at work. The first God-sized work that we see is the work of healing. We see that Jesus, as the crowds brush off their clothes, that they are so compelled by this message that they follow Jesus. They know something is up. And so let's get into Matthew chapter eight, and we're gonna see uh, the healing of some unclean outcasts. One outcast in particular is a leper. Now, lepers at the time would have, uh, they would have to cover their whole body, their face, uh, their, their body. They were most likely missing limbs because of infectious skin diseases, and they'd have to cry out to everybody, unclean, 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 so that nobody would accidentally touch them and get infected. They were not only physically outcast from the society, but they were socially on the fringe completely kicked out of relationship. And so let's just look at Jesus' response in Matthew 8. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And then Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. You, you see, here's this man that's unclean on the outside. He jumps right in front of Jesus and where everyone else would, would shirk away, Jesus leans in and he touches him. Instantly, this man is healed. And we see in the story that this leper perceived Jesus. He saw Jesus and the authority that he had. And this leper believes that Jesus can heal. Did you notice it says, not the leper saying, if you can heal me. It says, no, if you will. If you will heal me. And Jesus says, I will. And so he touches him. But this, this leper then perceives Jesus. He believes Jesus. And then he receives life from Jesus in the fact that he's healed physically in a moment. 
Well, the crowd is just amazed that Jesus would cross such boundaries and be able to heal so quickly. It was just a touch, not only breaking social norms, but putting himself right in harm's way. But that's the first brushstroke with the leper. The second brushstroke we see is with an ethnic outsider. An ethnic outsider, this guy, a Roman centurion, he was a Roman guard that led others. He was the oppressor of God's people in that region. He was uh, the very reason that people were facing hardships and heartaches, and, and he was just on the outside because he was one of those guys. He was one of the guys that people would look, oh man, I can't believe he's a, a Gentile. Ugh, I hate that guy. And he was in charge of the very uh, forces that were oppressing God's people in the region. Just look at how Jesus interacts with him in healing. Continues, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. The centurion knew, no way, I'm an, I'm an outsider. I'm not worthy of, of you responding to my request, no. But then he perceived the authority in Jesus. He said, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. The centurion goes on and says, uh, no, game recognized game, Jesus. I know about authority and power. I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Ooh, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, the masses, the crowd, uh, the, the people of God from the Old Testament, the very people who are considered insiders, he says this about an outsider. He says, truly I tell you, with no one in God's people of the Old Testament have I found such faith. Faith, trust, believe. He says, you all that think you're insiders, yeah, this guy who you think is an outsider is actually, he's with me. He has faith. Not only does he perceive authority, he believes Jesus. And then Jesus says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table, which means to be in connection with. He says, people from all over, the, the good news of the king at work isn't just for one select people group, one select ethnicity. Jesus says, no, 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 no. People from all over the world are gonna come and will recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom the sons of the kingdom is a name that the insiders would use for themselves. He says, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, and that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Did you catch the same pattern? Did you catch the same pattern? Perceiving Jesus believing Jesus, and then receiving life from Jesus. And Jesus doesn't even have to go and touch this time. No, Jesus has so much authority with healing that Jesus just simply says, go and you'll find her healed. He speaks healing into existence out of his very nature. 
We see both the unclean outcast and the ethnic outsider, two outsiders that have now been healed, and the the story moves on to another outsider. In the society, a woman was seen as an outsider. I love how the Bible raises up women in a culture that was trying to push them down. And so this woman is healed. And not only is she a woman who's an outsider, but she's like an outsider of an outsider. She's a mother-in-law. Anybody like your (laughs) mother-in-law? I know some of you are like, "Uh uh-huh. Right? No, mother-in-law. I, I love my mother-in-law. I, do, I really do love her. I get along great with her. Hi, Mom, if you're watching. Uh, I love her so much. I do get along with her quite well. But I, I'm, I'm a little playful. And so as long as I've known her, as long as I've been dating and married to her daughter, I have gone around collecting the worst pictures of her I can find. The most, the, just the, the pictures that doesn't look like her at all. And, and so I published a book for her. I made a book for her one time of all these bad pictures. And, oh, it's great. And I, I asked her, I said, hey, as I talk about mother-in-laws, I'm going to share how much I love you. And you're not the typical mother-in-law. But can I share one of the pages from the book of bad pictures? You guys want to see a bad picture of her? Yeah? Online? You want to see a picture? Here it is. Yeah, I love my mother-in-law. Maybe you have the pictures, you just haven't shared them. (laughs) But the truth is, Jesus, Jesus heals a mother-in-law. He goes to Peter's house. If you know anything about Peter, uh, he goes to Peter's house. Pastor Barak from our other location uh, reminded me, maybe that's why Peter denied Jesus three times, because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. I don't know. (laughs) So let's just look at this, this miraculous healing of Peter's mother-in-law. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. Notice her response from being healed was to serve. The, The instantly as she's healed, she served him, most likely made him some food. And because it was Sabbath, because it was Shabbat, uh, most likely people weren't uh, moving and, and working a whole lot during the day. But then as the sun set, all of a sudden, the broken and the diseased came forward. And then the people bring, they hear about this healing and they bring others. There's something about our brokenness that we hear of healing and it just draws us to that, huh? Just look. And what continues on says that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Did you catch the king at work again? Definitely Peter and his family, they perceived Jesus. Absolutely. They believed Jesus and then could receive life from Jesus. And you see, Jesus came to bring healing, but not just physical healing. No, if you notice that there's an element of spiritual healing in this story that we just heard with the mother-in-law. And even the scripture passage that's quoted, it quotes Isaiah, Isaiah 53. And just look at this prophecy that Jesus fulfilled in Isaiah 53. It says, he was despised and rejected by man, by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted 
with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Now listen to this. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This prophecy that God's people had to wait for has now been fulfilled in Jesus in Matthew 8. And we see here and now the king is at work bringing healing to people that are longing for healing. He comes into a world saturated with sickness and dominated by disease. Jesus comes in to heal those who are sick. God still heals today, amen? Do you believe it? Yes, he provides physical healing, but he also provides the deepest healing we need, the healing of our souls from ourselves. Notice, each of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has gone our own way. We have turned our backs on God, And that rebellion has thrust humanity into death and disease and decay because we have turned our back on the creator and sustainer of life, God himself. And so maybe you've come here today and you are looking for healing. You're looking for a physical healing. You're looking for a deeper satisfaction, a healing of your heart because of brokenness. Maybe you've come here today because you are longing for the healing of your soul. I wanna tell you, there is no healing deep enough outside the name of Jesus. Only through Jesus will you find true and lasting healing. Amen? And maybe some of us that would say yes, amen to that, a lot of times we think to ourselves, you know what, I did need healing, but now God has healed me. Now he has to heal those other people because, I mean, I'm pretty good, but they, ooh, they have problems and issues. Or we want to keep up appearances and we say, oh, well, I- I'm not surely that sick. Uh, the other people are much worse than me. Or we ask each other, how are you? And we say, oh, too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> And really, we're dying on the inside for healing. We're dying on the inside for the good news of Jesus to transform us again. Jesus in Luke 5 says this. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are, but, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. When we pretend like we have everything together, we're essentially saying, okay, Jesus, you healed me in the beginning, but now I got this. I don't know about you, I desperately need ongoing healing because I come face to face with ongoing brokenness. So know that the true healing you desperately need is the healing of your soul, and that can only be provided through Jesus. But also, God still heals physically. Do you believe it? 
God still feels his. I have experienced God's healing physically. We've had members of the church experience God's healing physically. God still feel, heals physically. So pray for that healing. Pray in faith, in confidence, knowing God can heal. There's a guy a couple years ago that was sitting right out here when we had some couches, and he was with his son. He wanted to attend the services, uh, but his son had been sick for a couple hours that, that morning, and uh, my heart just broke for him because he says, I can't come to church. I have to take my son to the hospital. He's been overtaken with a fever. And I looked at his son, and you know when rambunctious, energetic kids are really sick, and they're just, they just look like a lump of little one right there. And, and my heart just goes out to him. I said, yeah, as, as fathers, we talked to our heavenly father and, and we prayed for healing for his son. And I finished up the prayer. I said, in Jesus' name, amen. And he says, amen. And we look at each other with tears in our eyes. I know it's a scary trip to the hospital. And he looks over and I look over and his son is missing. <laughs> because his son is running up and down the hallways. <laughs> Just going, shoom, shoom, shoom. And he turned to me and he goes, God healed my son. And I turned to him, I'm like, God healed your son. It's awesome. God still heals. Now, we know that God still heals. And even preparing for this message and knowing that story and experiencing God's physical healing in the past my heart had some tension in it because I have some chronic pain. I've been asking God, take away, take away, take away. God, heal me physically, and, and he hasn't. And he reminded me. He reminded me that, yes, I can pray in faith, but we also need to pray with priority. That we would pray with priority knowing my priority is to follow Jesus. King Jesus is worthy of being followed because he is King Jesus, not because I get free medical care. The King Jesus is worth being followed because he has all the authority and all the power, not because I can tap into that as a divine vending machine when I have a headache. That we pray with that perspective that he is the king of all kings and I follow him because he's king, not because I can benefit from him. And also when we pray, when we pray for healing, we pray realizing, we pray with priority. We pray with priority knowing that, that God's glory is more important than my comfort. That can be a hard thing to digest. But God's glory is more important than my physical comfort. Because my physical comfort, your physical comfort, it's temporary. If you're comfortable right now, just wait till the AC comes on and you're uncomfortable. <laughs> our, physical, our physical bodies are temporary. And if you know Jesus, you know that when he comes back, we have brand new bodies that don't hurt. And we can live in a perfect healing. And so we pray with perspective, knowing that <laughs> my perspective is that I follow King Jesus because he's King Jesus. And we pray with priority, knowing that God's glory is greater than my temporary comfort. And we see that indeed, we pray in faith, knowing that God can heal. But just because God can heal doesn't mean that God must heal on our timeline. He is not one to be manipulated or cajoled. 
We follow King Jesus, and it's for God's glory. Knowing that he is a king that loves us so much that he addressed our deepest problem, not just our physical ailments, but the rebelliousness in our hearts. And we see a movement in Matthew chapter 8 and 9 now from this God-sized work of healing to a God-sized work of victory. Of victory because we know that this battle isn't just against flesh and blood. It's not the stuff we can see. In fact, the spiritual realm is much more eternal and much more out of our control. We see Jesus, after he heals the mother-in-law and people are bringing Jesus to be healed, all of a sudden they get in a boat, uh, he and his followers, they get into a boat and they go to the other side of the sea and while they're in, they're in the boat, they have these skilled fishermen that are in the boat. I imagine these fishermen had calloused hands and leathery faces from being out in the elements all day and they're in the boat and not a whole lot shakes these guys. They have a ton of experience and yet, this storm comes in out of nowhere. The storm comes in, and as they're straining at the oars and the water is being pelted against their skin like needles and the boat is rocking back and forth and this storm is just saturating them with fear, they they don't come to Jesus who's asleep in the boat and say, "Um, pardon me, sir. Uh, Jesus, if, if you would, no, no, just look at their response. Look at how they responded in the midst. And we're going to see Jesus' victory over nature. That Jesus even has victory over nature. Just look at, look at what happens here in verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And Jesus said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. They didn't believe. And then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And with just a few phrases, there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this? That even the winds and sea obey him. You see, Jesus has victory over nature. Well, people can't even, they can't even control. Now, sure, I love cloud seeding. I'm so thankful for cloud seeding when there's more clouds. But humanity has yet to be able, in just a few phrases, to be able to silence a storm. Yet Jesus, with just a few words, silences the storm and says, you guys didn't perceive and you didn't believe. They get out of the boat, they get to the other side uh, into the, the area of the gatherings and, and they see two men come out of the tombs, these two men, and we're gonna see Jesus' victory over spiritual darkness. We see that Jesus has conquered sin and death. We're gonna see that Jesus' victory over spiritual darkness. Just look at these two men that nobody wanted to go near. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the gatherings, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs. These men were so fierce that no one could pass that way. 
And behold, they cried out. They, the, the legion of demons inside the men, this group of demons inside the men, they cried out, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Did, did you get, even the demons believe. Even the demons perceive the power that's in Jesus. And they say, are you come? They know that there will be a time when Jesus has squashed all evil powers, that he is fully victorious, and that there is no more evil. They know that that time is coming, and they say, Jesus, uh, they not only perceive, but they do believe that Jesus has that power. And because demons are bent on destruction and death, they beg Jesus. He said, now, now they begged Jesus to send them into a herd of unclean animals. It says, now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, one word, go. With one word, they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had just happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. You see, they, they perceived Jesus' authority, this authority to cast out demons, this authority over spiritual darkness, but they didn't believe that he was the king come to bring healing and victory. Now, with thousands of pigs, that was probably a quite lucrative business. And they see they're afraid because Jesus has the power to do things that they haven't been able to do, cast out the demons from these two men. And Jesus is really bad for business in the area. And so they kick him out. Uh, and they didn't receive life from Jesus. No, they, they just kicked him out. And you see, the king at work involves just perceiving Jesus, believing Jesus, and then receiving life from Jesus. And so if you aren't aware of the spiritual world, I want to tell you the spiritual world exists and demons are real. Demons are real, and it may feel like we're kind of scared sometimes, but just know what seems like an unbreakable chain to humans is like a thread that Jesus just snaps. He has all authority and all power. And so we don't have to align ourselves with a witch doctor or the most powerful person in the room because we know the most powerful king in the entire world. But there is victory in Jesus. Amen. And there's a lot we can say uh, about demons in the spiritual world, uh, but just know this. If you are a follower of Jesus, know that, that your, your heart has one slot in it for one spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, that slot is permanently occupied by the Holy Spirit. There's no way that, that any spiritual force can come in and possess you because you have the Holy Spirit, <laughs> Jesus is so much more powerful than anything else. And even if you find yourself maybe uh, oppressed or, or, or the demons want to uh, move this or, or take your direction this way, just know 
that, that there is no competing with the power of Jesus. Just speak in Jesus' name. You have him in your life, you're good to go. <laughs> All right, so the, the best thing we can do when we come with spiritual darkness is to realize that that battle has already been won. It's not something happening now that Jesus has already shown himself victorious. And we see the two, the physical world and the spiritual world, combine in our last brushstroke when Jesus has victory over disease, both spiritual sin and physical ailments. Jesus has victory over disease. Look at this, what Jesus says. And getting into the boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, again, they perceived Jesus, they believed Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, the best news that any heart can hear, not that your physical ailment is done away with. No, he says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, just real quick, uh, we need to know individual sin doesn't necessarily cause individual sickness. Individual sin does not necessarily cause individual sickness. The reason that we have sickness and disease and decay in this world is that our human hearts have rebelled against God, the creator and life giver. So that's why humanity has disease and decay. It's not like uh, you, someone asks you, hey, how do I look in this dress? And you decide to lie and say, oh, you look great. And then you have COVID, okay? That's not... <laughs> or if you have the flu and you're going, okay, I have the flu. God, what sin did I, did I do that gave me the flu? I need to make sure I ask for forgiveness for that so I can get over the flu. That's, that's, that's not necessarily how it works, all right? And just know, look at what happens to this paralytic. Jesus saw the faith, the faith of the friends, as they lower their paralyzed friend down. And Jesus says, the greatest news, your sins are forgiven. Some of the scribes and the Pharisees, or some of the scribes uh, say to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? You see, only God has the power to forgive sin. And that's the victory that Jesus has. The victory that Jesus has isn't over just Satan. The victory that Jesus has is over ourselves and our own rebellion. <laughs> that while we were still sinners, he died for us, paying that price. That we can be restored to a right relationship with God. And then Jesus says, okay, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. He says, let me show you. Let me just so there's no question about it. And he rose and went home, and when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. You see, when we see the king at work, our response is glory. That we go, this is not me, this is God at work. This is amazing. All of this is to fulfill the last section we'll be in today. Just listen to these words about Jesus, a prophecy about Jesus that he fulfilled in Isaiah 25. Listen to this. It says, he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth 
for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. The beauty of Jesus is that the wait is over, that the king has come and is at work here and now. That we can indeed be glad and rejoice because our king has come. He's a king that has healed the deepest deficiencies in our hearts and the king that has victory over sin and death. He is a king that has given us healing in our hearts, healing the deepest part of our souls and a king that gives us victory even over our own rebellion, only in his work. So this week, as you go out, you've just heard God's word. And as you leave this room, how are you going to be rejoice, to be glad and rejoice at the king at work? Remember, maybe for you, it's to perceive Jesus. Maybe you need to just perceive and realize he is the king that is worth all everybody following him. But even if you say Jesus is your king, maybe it's, up to, maybe it's up to you to say, God, I have been totally distracted by you. I need to re-perceive. I need to refocus my efforts on Jesus, on focusing on Jesus as the king. Maybe for you, it's believing Jesus. You believe Jesus for healing and for victory, for healing and to bring life and victory over sin. You say, I believe Jesus. And maybe for you, it's about receiving life from Jesus. Not that you create that life, but you receive that life from Jesus. Life from Jesus looks like praising God in the morning no matter what's going on in the calendar throughout the day. Life from Jesus looks like having a settled heart in the midst of turbulent times. Life from Jesus looks like being able to spend time and to connect with a God in the midst of the crush and rush of everyday life that you know, although everything else changes, that God stays the same. I look forward to how God will continue to transform us as we see the king at work here and now. And all of this for God's glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we see that not only does it seem like you overpromise, but you over, over deliver. <laughs> you are so mightily at work. You heal our deepest heartaches because you heal our deepest problem. You show us victory over sin and death because you do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And so, Father, right now we come to you in need of healing. I ask that you would heal us from our physical ailments for your glory, that you would mend up our broken hearts so we can see you. Father, that, that you would take us and you would repair and restore relationships, that you would help us to forgive as we've been forgiven and that you could use us to bring healing into the lives of others, all in Jesus' name. 
Lord, I pray for victory, that you would show us your victory over sin and death and what that means for our victorious living as we walk in the Spirit. We desperately need this reminder. And we pray now, even as we sing this closing song, Father, that it would be the anthem cry of our hearts. That when we face challenging circumstances and situations, that we wouldn't try and do it on our own, but we would simply speak the name of Jesus over the situation. And it's in his name we pray through the Spirit. Amen. Let's sing.